Thank you, Steve. Thank you, choir. Thank you, orchestra. I think we are ready to hear God's word with those great truths. Well, let me just start off by saying kids. Does anybody know what I mean? I have four precious children. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they are incredible, but they are expensive, I have learned. I mean, just the amount of food they consumed. I may have told you all this before, but I took uh, two of my boys to have steak and potatoes a while back. And um, we went to the restaurant and we ordered their steak and the waiter turned to Andrew and said, how would you like your steak cooked? Andrew looked at me and I said, medium. And he said, okay. And, this, and so then turned to Evan, how would you like yours cooked? And he said, large is what he said. <laughs> They love to eat, and I'm not only talking about at meals. I mean, they are constantly snacking. The most used hinges in our home are the hinges to the doors of the pantry. It's constantly opening and closing. I don't know if you've been to the grocery store lately, but groceries are expensive. It's expensive to have kids, but not just food. I mean, the clothing, the shoes, the electronics. I mean, they're just so expensive. But leave the dollars and cents out of it. They take up all of our time, too. I mean, we are constantly doing something for our kids. My wife basically runs an Uber service, and nobody pays to ride. Um, she, you know, taking them to school, picking them up. By the time she's done that, one has tennis, the others have basketball. Somebody's got an orthodontist appointment. They got to get their hair cut, pick up a friend. I mean, it's constantly here, there, and everywhere. So money, time, and even, let me just tell you this, they exhaust us emotionally. I mean, I've started to learn that it is a relationship where they just take and take and take. And I just wonder, when will it flip? You know, when will I experience the return of this investment in my four kids? How about this one? Wives. Does anybody know what I mean? Why? I mean, Rachel and I have been married since uh, 2005. We actually walked right down this aisle, stood up here and took our vows. Our officiant is right over here, Dr. Estep. I remember when we got engaged and you said to me, Wes, have you thought about this? Are you sure this is what you want to do? <laughs> and let me just say, as we approach our 18th anniversary this summer, I'm not sure whether I got the bigger piece of this pie. I mean, I, you know, the other day I took clothes out of the wash and put them in the dryer. They weren't even my clothes. Do you think I got a thank you note for that? <laughs> now, before I get in trouble here, I'm going to stop because I know you're thinking, Wes, we don't have room at our house for you, so you better stop right there. I'm sure y'all are thinking that, uh, Wes, you've got this all wrong when it comes to how a family is supposed to work. Being part of your family will frustrate you if you approach it as a consumer trying to get something out of it. That is not how a family is supposed to work. Family is something you give yourself to. And the serendipity is that in the giving, all of a sudden you re receive the gift. That's just how it works. The more you pour in, the more you receive back as a blessing. I've mentioned before that my dad is one of 11 kids, and his mother was the most servant-hearted person I've ever known. Uh, whenever she was alive, I don't remember her ever sitting down when there was something to be done. She was always up. And when I was younger, we would go there for Thanksgiving, and she would cook the meal all by herself. I'm 40 family members. We would gather, and she cooked the entire meal. My mom says she would go and say, uh, Wanda, what can I do to help? And she said, just sit right there and talk to me and while I do the cooking. And she cooked and uh, made everything. She just was always serving. One Thanksgiving, they decided they were going to make it, uh, give her a gift, and they were going to do all the cooking. And she got to just sit there and watch. It was the worst Thanksgiving of her life. <laughs> 
because she served because she loved, and she loved so much, and in her loving, she would just continue to serve. Well, that's how family is supposed to be. Last week, I mentioned that when Jesus left the earth, he did not leave his followers alone. He left them together. He gave them the church. Now, when some people think of the church, they think of it as a building or as a place you go to to attend a service, but that's not how Jesus designed the church. He designed the church to be a family. So you would think then that perhaps the church is supposed to operate by some of the same principles as our own uh, uh, natural families. In other words, being part of the church family is not about consuming, it's really about giving. And I think we need to change our approach. Rather than gathering as a church family in order to receive, we must see ourselves as coming together in order to, uh, to give, in order to serve. That's what I want us to consider this morning in our message, a church that is all about gathering to serve. Last week, we were reminded that we live in a world that is... Um, plagued with all sorts of problems. I mean, we could tick off all the different problems we face as a world. But as Christians, uh, the reality is there is one greatest problem in the world, and it's the problem of lostness. We live in a world filled with people who are dead and dying and desperate for good news. And guess what? That's what the church is all about. We have the good news that they're desperate to hear, the good news that Jesus has come. And there is no higher calling for the church or for believers in Jesus than to give ourselves wholly to the cause of advancing the gospel and moving forward God's kingdom here on earth. So I hope that you will recommit with me in 2023 to give your life to that cause, to advance God's kingdom, to live to make him known. So as we advance God's kingdom in 2023... There are three activities, key activities I want us to uh, focus on. And I meant to start that last week, and we began with the activity of belonging. We want to be a church where everybody, or a church that's all about belonging, because it's a place where every believer should be able to belong. Now, this week, I want us to look at another activity, and uh, you should probably have figured out uh, what it's all about. As we advance God's kingdom, we want to be a church all about serving. That's what we're here for. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul points out um, that this is how God has created us to be as his followers. He has not created us to consume. He's not created us to receive. But as his children, he has designed us to give and to serve and to do good. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to be in the second chapter this morning as uh, we look at it together. Ephesians chapter 2, I'll begin in verse 4 through verse 10. So Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered here together. We thank you for the good gift of your word, this truth that we not only get to read and study, but also apply to our lives. So, Father, would you have your way in our hearts today? Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you call us out? Lord, would you equip us to be a church faithful to that cause, to advance your kingdom in the world? And we know chiefly that may be by serving. So, Lord, speak to us now. Draw us all to the cross of Christ this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. By grace through faith, the text says, God makes believers alive in Christ and has created them for good works. Now, as a follower of Jesus and a member of his church, you have been created to serve. So what I propose to you this morning is as a church who endeavors to advance God's kingdom, let's be a church all about serving. Now, the text offers a natural outline that we're going to follow this morning. It reveals what we were, what God did, what we are now. And so we're going to look intently there so that we can see these good works God has prepared for us and so that we can walk in them by faith. So let's begin there with what we were. Now, I want you to remember, uh, Paul is writing this to the church. He's not writing to um, unbelievers. He's speaking to the saints, the believers in Jesus. This is a letter to uh, God's people. And he begins chapter 2 in verse 1 with this phrase, And you, speaking to the believers, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There's no beating around the bush with Paul. He doesn't talk about how nice the people were or the great family they came from or all of the good ways that they were attempting to do nice things, even before they met Jesus, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul is not talking about physical death here, but spiritual death. Very much alive physically, but spiritually, they were dead. They had no communication with God. They had been cut off from him. They had been separated from him. And the cause of the separation from God is what the text says here, their sins and trespasses. Sins and transgressions. These two words, trespasses and sins, are essentially the same thing. They mean deliberate acts against God and against his righteous rule. All people are born into a world of sin. All people inherit this curse of sin as sons and daughters of Adam. And that means we are spiritually dead. Whether they know it or not, all people are spiritually dead and living in rebellion against God. That's what sin is. And the reality for the world is no matter how hard we try, no matter how much good we do, nor how much we spend our time seeking to try to find out good answers for life and to try to align ourselves with God, we cannot save ourselves. That's the picture Paul paints for us in Ephesians 2 verses 1. Now, we're lost in our sins. So to be lost in sin means we are dead in our sins. That means helpless to save ourselves. We cannot do it on our own. If our salvation is up to us, then we are absolutely without hope. Because we're dead. Our transgressions, our sins, they've killed us. We need a Savior. The picture we find here in the first three verses of Ephesians 2 is bleak. A world of spiritual hopelessness. That is what we were, all of us, but it's not the whole story. 
Notice the first two words of verse 4 here. But God. Everything changes there. But God. Let's look now at what God did. First of all, Paul describes God because that's where the focus is in the text. It's on him. It's not on us. And he points out that God is rich in mercy, that he is um, great uh, in love. And those are really important qualities, especially when you are trying to relate to sinners, uh, transgressors, when you're trying to deal with people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. You need somebody merciful and loving, and that's who we find in God. Because there's nothing good to speak of in man. There's no commendable quality. According to verse 3, it says here that we are indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. We deserve wrath. But in contrast to that, we have a God who is rich in mercy, great in love. And then Paul points out three specific things that God does in his rich mercy. First of all, he says... God makes us alive with Christ. He has made us alive with Christ. So, dead in sins, dead in our uh, trespasses, then out of his rich mercy and in his great love, God makes us alive. He revives us. He breathes air into us so that we are alive spiritually. The second thing that he does is it says he raises us up with him. Now, the context, of course, here is resurrection morning. On the very first day after, of the week after Christ was crucified, uh, God speaks and Jesus, uh, Jesus rises from the dead. And what we discover here in the text is that uh, at the same moment, the people of God, those who are regenerate believers, are also risen to life. That's what happens because we ri- are raised up with him. Out of his great love, God saves us through the shed blood of Jesus. He makes us alive. He raises us up. Um, with Christ at the resurrection. And then the third thing we see, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, it says he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are spiritually alive. We are um, positionally resurrected. And now spiritually we have been positioned with Christ. Not physically yet, but spiritually with him. Now, what that means is we are now citizens of heaven. We are no longer citizens of this world. God has signed the immigration papers. We are living as resident aliens in this world. We are citizens of heaven. God has saved us. And Paul does a good service for us. Of course, by the inspiration of the Spirit, he gives us very detailed explanation of this salvation in verse 8. He says, by grace you are saved. Now, grace is a completely undeserved loving commitment from God to us. It's nothing we can earn. It's nothing we deserve. Uh, That's just not how it works. It is something undeserved, and it's just a loving commitment of God to us. And he attaches himself to us. And he rescues us. We were to be the recipients of wrath. Rather, we find his grace. So here we are, saved by his grace. But the means to receive this grace, he says, is faith. And faith is not a work because he says it's not by works. Faith is mere belief. It's trust in Jesus to say, he's the solution to my problem. He's the Savior I need. So the gift of salvation comes to us as a free gift. God makes people who are dead in their sins alive by grace through faith in Jesus. We mentioned earlier in the message that uh, the greatest problem facing our world is lostness. What we find in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9, is the good news that the world is desperate to hear. 
Now, you may have heard these verses before. You may have some of these verses memorized. But my question for you is, have you been saved by God's grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus? Have you been born again? In other words, have you come to the place where you've recognized, I am dead in sin, I need salvation, I cannot get it on my own, I need a Savior, I believe that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, who came and took his, my sins upon him, died the death I deserve, and on the third day he was resurrected from the grave, and I too can now have the hope of eternal life. Have you believed on Jesus for salvation? Have you received him into your life? I'm going to tell you, if you have not, anything else you hear or do here is really a waste of time. Because that's the first thing that we do when we come to God, is we receive Jesus by faith. Have you received him? You must be born again. I urge you to receive him today. Now, if you have received him, then what are you doing with this message? There is a world desperate to hear it. We must tell the world. We must tell the world. Now, you may say, well, that's what other people are for. But what about the people right around you? Could it be that God has placed them around you so that you might share with them the hope that you found in Jesus? Well, you say, well, they know I'm a Christian. They know I go to church. They know I believe the Bible is God's word. But do they know that Jesus has saved you? Have you shared that with them? I would encourage you to do that. Because how will a dying world know if they have not heard? We must tell. Let's be a people all about advancing God's kingdom that begins and ends with sharing the good news that Jesus has come. So as recipients of his mercy and of his great love, um, as those who have been made alive with Christ, raised up and seated with him in heavenly places, how are we supposed to live? That's what we deal with here in the last verse. What, are, uh, what we are now. Remember, we don't save ourselves. It's the gift of God. That's why it says here that for we are his workmanship. We didn't make us the way we are. God made us. And the term here translated as workmanship implies crafting. Uh, it's not just raw labor. It, it in, involves something like um, the uh, artistry of a masterpiece. He says, for you are God's masterpiece. You are his work of art. But don't be confused there. Because you're his work of art, that doesn't mean he intends to hang you like an oil painting on the halls of heaven. He intends for you to be productive, to serve, to give, to go, to advance his kingdom. That's what he's doing. And now we find the purpose of him creating us in Christ. It says to do good works. Now, we need to clarify here. He doesn't say we are created in Christ Jesus by good works. God's workmanship is not achieved by good works. It results in good works. See, the good works are the fruit, not the root. Okay? And we get that confused a lot. We think that it's the root. It's how I get saved. It's by doing something good. That's not how it works. The root is, by, is through faith. And what saves me is by grace. And what that happens when it comes in my life is it pushes out this fruit, and the fruit is the good works. So by grace, through faith, we are saved. The fruit, good works that God's prepared for us. And the text reads as if God has lined it up for us. He's teed it up. So that by faith we walk in him, and as we do, he comes along and he does the good work through us. He accomplishes all that he's planned to do in and through you. That's his design. So, if God has created us in Christ for good works, then it's time that the family of God walk 
and those good works. It's high time that we become a church all about serving. We flip it very often. We spend our lives trying to get good things when we should spend our lives doing good things. What matters is not the trips that you go on, the experiences you get to have, the list of things you get to check out off uh, of all those things that you wanted to see or do or experience. What matters is the service you offer and the lives you touch for Christ. That's what it's about. That's what he's designed you to do. But more than just created to do work, we're actually do good work. We are gifted by God for service. He has invested in us gifts of service. We call these the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. Uh, Now, many people have talents or resources that they can use for God and His kingdom. Uh, But what we do know, I mean, everybody may not have the talent or the resource, but we do know that every believer has been given a gift to serve in God's kingdom. That's what the spiritual gift, it is an expression of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer, which empowers them to serve in God's kingdom, to serve the body of Christ, to serve the church. We've all been gifted that way. Now, we can get, end up with some misunderstandings about spiritual gifts. We can abuse them. We can kind of highlight others and downplay others. That happened in uh, the church at Corinth. Um, they got really confused, and they got some things out of whack, and they created a hierarchy, and Paul addressed it. In the first letter that we have captured in the Bible to the Corinthians, he spends a good bit of time explaining these spiritual gifts and clearing up some of the confusion. And he says to us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God has given every believer a gift of the Spirit in order to serve in his church. See, God's plan all along for the church was that believers who have been gifted with leadership would be the ones leading in the church. God's plan all along was that spirit-filled believers gifted for shepherding would do the shepherding. His plan all along was that spirit-filled believers who would teach were those who were gifted for teaching. For those to host, it was those who were given the gift of hospitality and so on and so forth. That was his plan. And there's no plan B. In other words, for the church to properly function, the people of God have got to use their spiritual gifts in service within the church. So that means everybody has a role to play in the church. We talked last week about belonging. And if you're searching for a place to belong, it might be the place where you're to serve, where you're gifted for service. So you discover that and you might figure out where you fit, where you belong. Now here's the problem in the church. Very often people will look around and they'll see a need or they think we need uh, something over here. And so they say, let's hire someone to do that. We need a minister to minister. One of the key takeaways from the Reformation is that Martin Luther speaks of the priesthood of all believers. Because in the Roman church, there was a distinction between the priesthood and those who were not in the priesthood. And Martin Luther says, that's not the way that it is. The scriptures say we are all members of this royal priesthood. We are all priests in the kingdom of heaven. We're all gifted for service is what he says. But what happens when the church gets it wrong is they put this weight on the ministerial staff. And they say, you're the ones who have the responsibility to study the Bible, to preach the word, to visit the shut-in, to pray for the sick, to lead, to organize, to recruit, uh, to marry, to bury, to console the hurting, uh, to uh, check on those who haven't showed up in a while, to administrate, to manage, to lead our kids to Christ, to teach them to love Jesus. And then you watch them so we can come up here and worship. 
And everyone else is supposed to just sit there and watch the ministers minister. And a lot of times those people have feedback about how well the ministers are doing at their job. I mentioned um, our kids at the beginning of the message. Well, now they're on basketball teams right now, and uh, uh, four kids on three teams, and then one kid's assistant coach of a team. So that's four teams, and yesterday was a doubleheader, so there were five games yesterday. I sat in the bleachers a lot. And, you know, at a basketball game, you have ten players on the court. You have some, uh, you know, officials there. You maybe have some people on the sidelines who might get subbed in, and you got some coaches and some referees. And then the most of the people are up in the bleachers, parents and kids and uh, grandkids and, uh, I mean, grandparents and uh, siblings, and, and they tend to be the loudest, but they're the least productive in the game. I did a lot of sitting in the bleachers yesterday. Church is not a basketball game. The goal for the church is nobody in the bleachers. Everybody is supposed to be on the court, in the game. That's how God designed it. And when the members of the church all see themselves as supposed to dress out, to be on the court, to be there passing the ball, to do all those things, that's when the church is most effective for God's kingdom. So the application is this. What's your gift? How has God gifted you to serve in his church? Where's your place of service in the church? Now, maybe you aren't familiar with the gifts of the Spirit, and you say, I remember hearing something about that, but I don't quite know where that is for me. Well, the first place to start is to read God's Word. He, he speaks of the, the, the gifts of the Spirit in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. And so he talks about them there. So maybe you just read and discover. Maybe, I wonder how God's equipped me. Maybe ask him in prayer. Lord, what gift have you given me to serve in the church? There's some resources out there that might help you discover, um, based on some of your experiences and how you've seen God work in the past, some inventory to discover what it is. But I'll tell you the best way I feel like it is for you to find what your spiritual gift is, is to serve. So often you just start serving and God just starts to move and you see this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. There are a lot of ways to serve in the church. And here at First Baptist, if you're not in a place of service, it's time to step out of the bleachers. It's time to put on the uniform. Maybe step in our children's ministry. You know, we need the best of the best down in our children's ministry. Caring for the next generation, praying for them, shepherding them, teaching them. Maybe just rocking and holding some of them occasionally. Uh, what about our, our students? You know, you, you complain about the next generation. How about stop complaining and start serving? Um, they could really use that. Our college students that come here, uh, they need a local family, a lot of them. <laughs> they need a people of God that, that they can spend time with, spend life with. You ought to pour in their lives there. Our young professionals, they really need to see people who are more mature than them, more experienced, and, and see how they want to know how does faith in my work intersect? How am I supposed to live out my faith in my family? Last week, we talked about some statistics, and we said 79% of adults ages 18 to 24 in America could be qualified as lonely. Our young people need you. A lot of places for you to serve. Maybe to show hospitality on our welcome team or with our ushers or serving food and feed the hungry, joining our choir, joining our orchestra, uh, join our team that's serving right now as phone, uh, folks are watching us online and television and calling in and wanting somebody to pray with them or have questions about salvation, and they get to share that with them. Maybe being on one of our teams that goes into the schools to share the gospel there or to encourage a family. There's all kinds of ways to serve. You can come here during the week and lend a hand as doing a little maintenance and repairs. You can join a mission team. The church needs you. Every gift, every role is important. Now, some gifts may get a little bit more attention. 
But any service done for the Lord does not go, or any service done for the Lord goes noticed by God. And that's who matters most. And he rewards your service. What if you don't serve? The whole church suffers. When the spirit, uh, spiritual gifts you, uh, the spirit gives you for service and you don't put it into practice, uh, then you as a member of this church uh, don't put it into practice. The whole church suffers. When people with the gifts of encouragement don't encourage, the church suffers. When people with the gift of helps don't help, the church suffers. Let me encourage you as a response to this message and in accordance with God's word that you make a commitment to find a place to serve in the church. Our goal is nobody in the bleachers, everybody on the court. And it's not just because we have needs. It's because that's how God designed it to be. How disappointing it would be for you to finish your life without ever discovering what gift God gave you. I mean, just imagine somebody gave you a gift at Christmas wrapped beautifully, and you knew the gift coming from this person could absolutely change your life. And rather than opening it, you just leave it there and you never touch it. That's what it's like whenever you don't find out God, how God has gifted you for service. We live in a world where the pursuit for greatness is one of the greatest drives out there. Jesus says, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Let's aim to be great this week. Let's aim to be great in 2023. How will we do that? By serving as God has gifted us to do. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunities that uh, you afford us to serve your kingdom, to serve your church. Lord, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Well, you made us alive and now you're going to use us. So, Father, I pray for those out here, those who have never responded to you, that today they would say yes to you. For many, that they would step into service. However you apply the word to our lives, may we say yes to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our choir is going to sing. And you might just pray right there, and you might just need to have a time with the Lord. I'll be down front. If you want to talk to me about a decision you want to make, or if you want to just gather down here and pray, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So right now as our choir sings, you respond to the Lord and however the God speaks to your life.